All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Tonight, it's going to be myself, Travis, with Jordan and Ola. And just going to kind of go through now that the World Cup is getting ready to wind down with our final approaching between Argentina and France. Uh, what's going to be happening for Chelsea after this World Cup and looking forward to the rest of the Premier League season? So a bit of a you know assessment before we get into the next phase of the Premier League. And really, this should be... a very important time for us we have a very difficult schedule to open back up with we're going to have a lot of fitness issues and we also have a january transfer window that's going to be happening soon and from all the reports it sounds like we're going to be a very busy club during that window so we we'll see how it goes uh we'll see what chelsea do what they don't do who stays who goes and you know we'll see how the manager figures this all out um but as far as you know we're talking is uh you know went the world cup Quite a few of the Chelsea players were there um, during this winter break. And from there being so many Chelsea players there, we have some that, you know, in the first team that were left behind, uh, like Jorginho is the one that springs to mind first. Um, but I think it's, you know, interesting to talk about how helpful has this winter break maybe been for Graham Potter? You know, what are maybe the the pros and cons of this? You know, I, I think I've I've even said that it's important. It's an important time for him to probably figure out, m- maybe from a theory side, what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, who he's going to do that with, and maybe that helps make him somewhat informed on personnel decisions. But I, I even that I feel a little a little trepid to go too far in 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 a you know in that direction as far as going there because a lot of the key players are at the World Cup. And I don't know what's going to happen there. So I guess that's where I'll kind of start the conversation of, you know, us previewing in the next, you know, the next uh, half of our season is how beneficial really was this for Graham Potter? You know, what are the limitations that he had? And maybe those limitations make this time that he's had this month off, not all that useful. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I think that Graham Potter's Chelsea were, noticeably worse than Tuchel's Chelsea and I don't think that is entirely his fault Uh, but in terms of pretty much every advanced metric I could find Chelsea regressed under Graham Potter outside of wins and losses which fine I think this break is necessary I mean the things that bothered me about Graham Potter like the biggest thing about Graham Potter's Chelsea that's been a problem is the defense is worse because we're playing much more open And we're creating less chances, which can't happen, right? Like, if you are going to create so few chances, then playing so open is suicide. It's like there were games where the attacking structure looked like a two, two, six, like really, like just super attacking. And sometimes with that, that it became a two, one, seven because Kukurea would invert and the midfielders would go off. 
And like, if you're creating basically one XG, a little over one XG a match with seven guys in attack, you're going to lose a lot of games. Like you, you're, you're going to lose a lot of games. So I think Potter really needs to work on figuring out what that balance is. I think the roster construction doesn't do him many favors. Like this team still lacks key creators outside of Reese James and Hakeem Ziyech and Reese has come back from injury and everything we've learned from Potter Tuchel is that Ziyech, no matter how good of a creator is, no matter how good of a world cup he's had, he's probably not going to play much. So without that creation, you're going to struggle. So my gut, especially if Reese James isn't ready to go right away, is that we will see actually a fairly defensive Chelsea. Um, I think you started to see that towards the end in that City match. It would not surprise me in the Arsenal match. I know we lost both, but it would not surprise me if we see a more organized version of that, where we just kind of sit back, let the other team attack, and then try to spring on the counter, at least until we have that creator. So yeah, I'll stop there, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I think the 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 break has been beneficial for Potter. I think he's needed some time to stop playing matches because the games are coming thick and fast, and we know how the Premier League can get. And when we return, it's going to be the Christmas period where you know teams will be playing two Premier League games every four or five days. So it's it's going to get we're going to go right back into it. So I think he's needed to take some time off to have time with the players on, on, on the training ground. My only the only little thing about that is you know when he came to Chelsea, he also had like two to three weeks on the training ground with the players and it still wasn't to be fair, to be fair, when he when we came back from that um, the international break. We played, we played well one game, played well in the Champions League, and then from then on it has been a an end-to-end contest with not end-to-end. We've been we've been getting dominated by everything we've met, including Salzburg, including Aston Villa, including Manchester United. The only difference is, you know, the 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 streak we had, the winning streak and the unbeaten streak we had, had um, Kepari Zabalaga standing on his head. And when that stopped happening, Brighton took us apart. And when once teams figured out that beating this team is actually easier than we thought, every team has been beating us since then. And we lost to Newcastle and we lost to Arsenal. And while the Arsenal game was just one nil, the Newcastle game was also just one nil. Our lack of our lack of um, bite offensively was obvious and it was glaring. And like Jordan mentioned, if you are going to be as open as we are without having the creation potential of Liverpool in 17-18, then it, it simply cannot work. Because I remember that that Liverpool team had Salah, they had Mane, they had Firmino, they had Alexander-Arnold. They were creating loads of chances, but they were just bad defensively. So their, their problem was very easy to identify and easy to solve. And they brought in Van Dijk, they brought in Alisson, and instead contending for titles. Our own problem is, is a lot more complicated because we still don't have an attack that we can settle on. The trusted attackers before the World Cup have gone to the World Cup and failed to impress. And failed to impress. And uh, those who are fringe players have played much better and have had deep runs. So 
coming back to Chelsea, it it it, it would seem it it would be difficult to to gauge not just for the fans but for Potter because he wants to stick to what he feels is right, but none of that is playing out in reality the way he feels like. So I think he he does really need a lot of time and could use this this few weeks. Yeah, you you, you can go ahead, Travis. Yeah. Oh, so I think you bring up an interesting point there in the sense that you're talking about how we're playing like open and we're not creating XG, right? And it's not a sustainable thing um, for a lot of different reasons. And you're comparing us to that Liverpool side that went in the, that went into the market and made a bunch of key signings and transformed, you know, transformed the side into how they wanted to play. I guess what mm-hmm. I'll ask is this: you know, we saw some massive downturn in form with Bram Potter, right? And and I think that's undeniable. I, I I'm not gonna try to try to put a spin on it. I mean, we had a really rough stretch there with, you know, yeah. some losing streaks that have happened in the, for the first time in 20 years. And I can't help but feel or want to think about this and ask the question is maybe Graham Potter, we see this massive downturn, right? Maybe he at times is trying to show to the board, the people making these decisions, look at the squad. These are the limitations of the squad. When we try to play open and expansive and play more direct attacking side, you know, that wants to be more of a, uh, I don't know if I want to say a, a higher chance creator side, but a side that's, being, you know, doing better than we have in the past, right? But having more uh, quick play attacking patterns and buildups um, compared to what we saw under Tuchel. Let's just say that's how we're trying to do things. And it's shown, and that's what, you know, not too, I don't want to say it's dis, it's the same as Lampard, but it's a little similar, and he did those things, and it was exposed that these guys cannot do that in any way, shape, or form in a, in a formation that really suits a back four defensive system in, in the defensive third phase. We just don't really – it seems that we don't have that ability, and when we do try to show that off, it, it, it backfires. Even, even with Thomas Tuchel this preseason, tried to show it off against our Arsenal, and it was just disastrous. Um, so I think that maybe – the question I'm getting at here is do you think Potter is – doing things despite the failures but these failures are only if anything exposing how much this squad needs to be overturned if his you know vision for the squad is to ever be realized like do you think that's something that he's actively doing i i don't think so i think that would give him more credit than i think he needs to be given because it would it would require him to be intelligent enough to go out of his way to lose games to make a point and I don't know Grand Potter enough to go that far yet. The reason I say that is, if, if to be fair, if that is what he's doing, he's still culpable because let's, we can't disregard the fact that Chelsea just came off a transfer window where they spent 275 million. So if the if you come into that team and you instantly want to make the the the, the case that the vast majority of these players are not good enough. That indicates to me that you are ignoring completely what you have in front of you at your disposal as as playing personnel and are trying to do your own thing. And like we've mentioned in previous pods, you earn the right to play your way. You don't come into a team and instantly demand, this is how I want to play, especially when you don't have the track track record of winning that way. I know he has won trophies at Östersund, but that is Sweden. And... That is true. That is true. He didn't bring any of those players in, but at the same time, they are new players on big contracts, and he cannot immediately start saying to the board, uh, these guys that you bought for me, 
or these guys that I met here, that's why the fact that they are new signings, I don't think they are good enough for what I want to do. I think it's not impossible, to be fair. It's not impossible that he is playing all these players to, to show or to make a point that, you know, I need, I need um, creators. I need the, the other problem I have with that or the problem I have with that um, line of, of or that perspective is he, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't have limited options, especially in the attack. In the midfield and the defense, he does because there's been injuries, but he doesn't have limited options in the attack. And he has chosen to trust players that are not producing the goods. If that is to make a point, then why? Because that would also insinuate that those players who are not playing are players that he believes can do the job. But he's just, I, I, I don't really know how that perspective really shakes out. But I, I get the point that, you know, there was a time that when Mourinho was at Tottenham, he needed centre-back. And to be fair to Mourinho, he didn't have, he didn't have options. And he asked for centre-backs and they bought him Joe Rodon from, you know, the second division. And at some point, it's not, play, it's not playing those players to make a point. It's just playing the players that you have and showing that this, this is all I have and it's, it's clearly not doing the job. So it's not impossible. It's not, it's not something I should dismiss as a perspective. But I just think it's, it's really difficult to say. But I don't agree with, or rather, I don't like the idea of a manager going out of his way to, to expose the team to poor results just to show the board that I needed to buy more players. I agree that there are signings that need to be made, but I also, I also think it is Potter's responsibility to do the best with what he has. If the communication between him and, and Boli is as good as it's been advertised, then he shouldn't need to get us into 13th place to show Bailey that he needs players. So I have a, another theory. We know Todd Bowley loves RB Leipzig and the RB system in general. We also know that Graham Potter's Brighton were so good every year because they played for the nil-nil draw or the 1-1 draw, right? They had a great defense. That's why people like me and uh, a lot of others were like, oh, Potter's actually a pretty good replacement for Tuchel because he's going to play in the same way. What I think may have happened is Todd Bailey said, I don't just want to recruit like Leipzig. I want to play like Leipzig, right? I want to have a very attacking style of play. That's going to sell tickets. That's going to make us marketable outside of England. And we're going to score a lot of goals. And eventually we could end up like Liverpool and having a good enough team that can score enough goals that we can win trophies. I I don't know that's the case, but that to me is like an alternative theory. Unless maybe Graham Potter, when he was interviewing, said, hey, I know I play defensively at Brighton. My dream football is super attacking. He wasn't even defensively, but like more pragmatic at Brighton. And I want to play super attacking. And so if I come to Chelsea, like I want freedom to play super attacking. That could be it too. I I just think that there is probably something else going on because Potter, I don't think, became an idiot like over the course of two nights when he transferred to Chelsea. I don't think Potter is like, he does not feel like the guy 
that's just going to go out there and like basically play a system that he knows isn't going to work. Because like at the end of the day, I don't care what anybody says about that contract. I mean, seeing out on Champions League is more expensive than firing Graham Potter and having him pay him the remaining four years. And I, I really think if Bailey, if we don't qualify for Europe, so not as Champions League, but Europa or the Conference League, I, I think Potter gets fired. And I think Potter's probably aware of that. So I, I think it is unlikely that he would go out of his way to like show that this team doesn't have the talent. So I think there's just something else going on there. I don't know if it is Potter wants to play this way. I don't know if it's that Potter thinks certain players have to be on the pitch no matter what, and doing so just results in an open system. But I, I don't, and I don't know if it's, I think it is very plausible that Bailey is telling Graham Potter he wants to score a lot of goals. Uh, like, I just, I think that is, Plausible, right? I mean, we know Bailey loves Ronaldo. And you don't need to know much about sports to know all Ronaldo does at this point is score goals. So it is not inconceivable to me that that's part of what's going on. That And that may be partially why, like, Tuchel just wasn't a good fit, right? Because Tuchel, no matter where he was, his teams did not give up a ton of goals. Because Tuchel, like, Tuchel basically said, he, we know he's huge in analytics, right? That keeps getting repeated or that kept getting repeated when he was at Chelsea. It's gotten repeated since he's been fired that like that was actually an area where he and Bully really agreed. And what the analytics show conclusively every time the studies are done is that a good defense is worth more than a good attack and it's more predictable, right? There's less variance. And like, I know uh, the double pivot pod with Michael Cayley and Mike Goodman talked about this a lot, but like they talk about Burnley right, when Burnley was in the Premier League under Dyche. And everybody said, oh, well, Burnley has a good defense because they sit in a low block. And what double pivot guy said is, well, actually, it's because they have really good defenders that they can effectively play in that low block, right? And, and so part of what may be going on to me also is Potter's just saying, like, we don't have good enough defenders to play in a low block. We don't have good enough defenders to play in a true on back three, back five. And so I'm just going to put attackers out there. And like last year, I would have called them crazy like I did Lampard. But like to a certain degree, look at this roster, guys. Like Rudiger's gone. Christensen's gone. Silva's a year older. Aspie's a year older. Reese has been hurt. Marcus Lonzo, I, I know people like to kick the guy all the time, but he was actually a pretty solid defender as far as like a wingback goes, right? All those guys are gone. Conte's gone too. So we don't have the same team that Tuchel was able to play this phenomenal defense with. And I think Potter may just be reacting to that too. So I don't know. That was a long diatribe. I don't really know what Potter's doing. I I am skeptical that it is trying to show he doesn't have the players, but I think that is a very clear effect coming from what he's doing. I mean, I, I, and sort of the skeptic in me thought that too, but I, I, the reason why I was thinking about it is actually, I, I was reading, um, I was reading, it was sent to me and, and I was reading it and it had to do with the uh, South Korean team in 2002 where they appointed, uh, they appointed heating as manager. And kind of the key thing is that, you know, they said that their goal was to get out of the, not, you know, get out of the group stage. That was their goal. That was it. Um, and they like identified very quickly heating identified that, well, if I'm going to get out of the group stage and I have to play at a very high intensity because it's the world cup, 
and immediately said, well, most of the players that we have in this national team are all old. They can't, they won't be able to sustain this. So basically he identified the problem and then scheduled highly competitive friendlies uh, and play those old players, how they needed to play in a, like in a system to get out of the group stage. And they just failed miserably. And then they made the switch and got all young players. And then, you know, you kind of know what happened from there. Uh, but it, what it made me think of is the manager identifying, yeah, okay, I know what the objective is. And I, here's, here is what I've identified. What I have to work with is not going to get it done. And, and, and making that point well known that this is not going to work and I'm going to show it to you that it won't work. And, and I think that's why I wonder, that's what really made me think about that with Graham Potter and that he might be doing that similar type process. And that made me think, okay, well, maybe this winter break, the only thing that's being beneficial about it is that he's going to show successively through the rest of the season that what we have is not going to be enough. It's just not going to be good enough to to play how we need to play to get to the objectives that this club has set forth. Um, and he, and I don't know if that would make him the fall guy. If he becomes the guy that's blamed for that instead, I don't know, but I just, it made me think about that. Um, but I, I mean, getting into kind of, okay. So we have now talked about a little bit of the, the downturn in form. Maybe there are reasons for this. Maybe he's doing this to show we need to improve in the market. And then we hear all these rumors that there's going to be a lot going on in the January window. So I guess let's, let's go from there. Uh, what positions do we think might be targeted in the January window? Like if this is something that, you know, he's showing showing us all in real time and there's going to be a lot of activity to, you know, get the right personnel in. You know, we know we've already heard about the Nkunku deal pretty much going through. Uh, as far as I know, whether it's going to be this upcoming window or in June, it remains to be seen. But, I mean, what else do you guys think that is realistic? Um, you know, and maybe what else would you want if, uh, you know, whether it's actually realistic or not? What do you think should be identified? I think uh, we need them. And one, there's no damage to in our system, so it can only be central midfielder. But we need a backup for his teams, and we need a central midfielder because um, Jorginho has not played so well this season, or rather, he has not played to, to the level we know he can perform at. His passing is not at the level it should be. In recent games, he has he has pulled out some very good performances, but generally, he's, he's played a lot of games for us, and we cannot have Jorginho playing that many games for us. We need someone who, even if it is to deputize him, who will later take over from him. It's something that we need to look at. All our midfielders are in the 30 range. Kante is over 30. Jorginho is, I think he's 30 now. Uh, Kovacic is slightly below 30, but he's not going to be that for long. I mean, Kovacic played well generally in the World Cup. Though I don't, I'm not sure if I can really give a substantial report on Kovacic's World Cup performance. But he, he played well. I mean, he helped them to a, a quarterfinal, to a, to a quarterfinal performance. But he has played, Kante is not available. So right now, our central midfield pairing is more or less Jorginho and Kovacic just like that. And it means if any of them is injured or if any of them needs to be rested, we have to turn to Dennis Zachariah, who Tuku didn't use and Potter hasn't used. 
even his national team didn't use him, and I didn't think um, Switzerland had that many central midfielders available to them, but even they found a way to not use Zakara. So that cannot be, you know, that, that can be ignored. So we need someone who can who can play the sitting role, most especially someone who will sit like Jorginho does. And our our central midfielders get a lot of the ball in every game. Whether they do well with it or not, it's up to them. But that position controls a lot of possession because of how we're trying to play. And if we can get someone who is very comfortable in possession, out of possession, and also can can do more switches of play and create. Jorginho also creates. The, the myth that he doesn't create comes from his first season or his first, yes, his first season with Chelsea where he apparently had, what, 2,000 passes without an assist, but he has created more than any other base midfielder. I think he created more, more big chances than any other base midfielder in the league last season, including Fabinho, Rodri, you know, so he has been doing well in that regard, but Again, Jorginho has played a lot of games and we need someone to be fresh in that area. So even if it is someone who will come in and play one out of every three games, while Jorginho plays two, that difference might be, that may be the difference between Jorginho looking, you know, uh, completely out of it in in a game and looking fresh. we need a, a backup for regime. We are playing in Lufthansa there and a, a number of, of other people. It can't work. We can't, we cannot keep doing this central midfielder attracting vaccine. I don't know what tactical flexibility are trying to do. It cannot work. Tuko tried it. He played in regime at right center back and played Lufthansa at right wing back. It didn't work. We considered five, five goals in two games. Many people remember the Tottenham game fondly, which surprises me because we're bad defensively in, in both that and the Leeds game. So we need, we definitely need to, to pay attention to that. We need another centre-back, not because of the now per se. Actually, yes, because of the now. We cannot ignore the fact that Thiago Silva is getting on in age. And I fear that just the way Many people at, at when Ronaldo was 36 and 35, they said he has the body of a 24-year-old. He looks like he can keep going to his 40. And then he's 37 and he starts looking like a 37-year-old instantly. I think that is more likely what will happen to Thiago Silva. He's, he's playing well now. He's still incredibly athletic, but we cannot expect this to... We, this can be our, our plan. He can't be our main centre-back for long. And he definitely is our main centre-back now. Passing-wise, playing out from the back. He's our best centre-back in the air. He's also, I mean, Tukurela is not a centre-back, so he's one of the few consistent centre-backs in the side. And he's 38. That means we need to start doing something to deputise him, someone who can step in when he finally does retire or when he starts declining. We don't want to get into a situation where we're caught in the middle of the season, the transfer window is two, three, four months away, and Thiago Silva is looking every bit the 38 year old that he is. We don't want that situation. So this January, we need to do something about that. As for the forwards, I've said before that I think the forwards come under a, a lot more heat than they should. The, the problem is many people don't want to agree with the point because 
it doesn't protect who they want it to protect and it doesn't expose who they want it to expose. I've maintained that our, I think our forwards are fine. The problem is just that we have too many of the same type of forwards who require the same thing and that thing is not in the squad. Pulisic, uh, Sterling, Aubameyang, Harvard, all require chances to be created for them. They are not creators. They require chances to be created for them to, to thrive. We don't have those chances. Jorginho creates six big chances uh, per season, or he created six big chances last season, which was actually a high tally for him. He doesn't, Jorginho doesn't create that many chances game to game. He will pull out the occasional long ball through pass here and there, but we need someone who creates chances more more consistently. I've been doing it for a long time now. But yes, I don't think we really need... If we are going to get another forward, we should get a creator. And I'm not talking about Nkunku. Nkunku is not a creator. We really need to get, get a creator, not, not Rafael. My, my, what I fear is we're going to get the Nkunku type, maybe a Leo, and then when they come, they run into the same problem because we know they will. And then the fans will get frustrated again and ask for more, even more force. Yeah, if I can just jump in here, I saw today that it looks like Chelsea are ready to offer AC Milan a hundred million for Leao, and I, I think Nkuku is a much better player than Leao. Like I do, but I think Ola, you're right that Nkuku needs chances created for him. I actually think Leao is going to be able a little bit to create his own chances. Like I know you cannot rely on that. I'm not saying you can. It's the Premier League. But I think there will be once a match where Leao is so good technically with the ball that he does create a chance for himself, but it's not creating a chance for others. Like, he's a good crosser. He's not a great crosser. He likes to basically play out wide and then cut in. Or if you flip his side, he actually plays just really close to the baseline and doesn't defend. This is why I don't think Leao works, though, is Leao doesn't defend, period. Like, he does not press. He has a terrible work rate. He, when he does press, is bad at it. Like, for everybody, it's like criticisms of Ronaldo's pressing, and I think they're fair criticisms. Ronaldo's at least good at, like, knowing where to be to position a pressing shadow so his teammates can go in the right way. Leao's terrible at that. Leao will never go to a, in, in a defensive block. And so I think, like, my fear with Leao is that Right? Ola, you said Silva's the main center back. I think it's hard to disagree with that. And you're telling me then, Silva, who, I mean, part of the reason our defenses look so bad is that Silva has to play super high. And honestly, Silva's at his best when he could actually play ostensibly behind the defensive line. Like, where he can kind of just sit back, so then you have your other players pressing. Like, this is what Rudiger was so excellent at, was, okay, you lose the ball, they couldn't progress it down Rudiger's side because he would just, I mean, he'd probably pick up yellow card, but it didn't matter. Like, he would just destroy the guy with the ball. And if he missed, he had the speed to recover. We don't have that anymore. And I think Fofana was designed to be that, but he's always hurt. So if you're saying, okay, we're going to bring in Leao and he's not going to press, well, okay, that open makes your worst problem right now even worse. So, yeah, I think with Leal, we probably start getting a higher XG every match just because I think he does have individual brilliance. But I think we end up giving up a lot more, too. Uh, 
Nkunku is one of my favorite players in the world. I think Nkunku is the type of player every big club should be looking to buy. But as Ola said, Nkunku cannot create chances by himself. Like he can, but you're not at, you're not going to get a lot from having him do that. Right? It's going it's same with Sterling. Like yeah, these guys are good. I think Nkunku is better than Sterling, Sterling at a lot of things. But like Sterling is not the player we've seen this year. Like I'm sorry, like I've watched him for a large chunk of his career and this is either Sterling took a nosedive at 28 years old or Sterling all of a sudden is working in a world where he doesn't get chances created for him. And I think it's the latter is what's happening. And like Potter's solution was to move Sterling to the right side, which like actually felt like kind of when managers go to a back three because their defense is bad. Like it, it doesn't understand why we're not creating chances like why like just because you're putting sterling on his right foot doesn't mean he's going to create more chances so i agree Ola. i think we don't create enough chances i think that is the biggest issue on the team bar none i think it and you don't just need one player like listen i i don't when i've watched enzo he doesn't do anything spectacular but i think he has the potential to become a tempo dictator like Jorginho. enzo would be a great get we need somebody like that we need a backup for Reese James. I, I know people are excited about Dumfries after the World Cup. I still don't know that he's the guy I would go for. I like the Kyle Walker-Peters from Southampton. Like, I think that's probably a fairly cheap problem. Get him for $25, 30000000 million, and he'd be a great backup for Reese James because he's not as good, but he kind of does the same thing. But to me, the other hole, and Ola, you touched on this at the end, center back. Like, yeah, I get Silva Fofana. Like, the goal is those two start most matches. Well, Fofana's super injury prone and Silva's 38. And the guy you brought in to kind of fill the other need was Koulibaly, who, frankly, has sucked pretty much all year yeah. this year, whether for Chelsea or for Senegal. He is not a good player anymore. And so you're left playing Kukurea at center back. And I'm like, everybody knows Kukurea is not a center back. Kukre is games at right wing back, right wing back, or sorry, left wing back. He's been one of our best players. Play him at center back. He's he's not the same guy. So I think Chelsea are in a position. I know it sounds crazy given that we spent a hundred million on center back this summer. I think Chelsea probably need two more center backs. Like, and so you're all of a sudden saying you need two center backs, at least two midfielders, and a creative attacker. That's five guys. And we know the board's going to sign another attacker that's not a creative attacker because that's just like <laughs> what evidently they want to do. Uh, so you're saying we're six, ostensibly six guys away. You're not going to fill that in January. So the question is, how do you triage it? Right? What are the goals this season? Who do you get to help achieve those goals? I don't think Nkunku's it. I think he will be a June transfer. I hope it's not Leao. I hope it's a guy like Enzo and then some sort of creative midfielder. But I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, Vardiol, if they don't buy him now, is probably going to go for $100 million this summer. So it may be a now or never type thing. Uh, I think that would be a great signing, but I think that's a long-term signing. I don't necessarily think it is a signing that puts us in the right spot now. And before, like, I know none of us feel it is, but, like, it's also not Declan Rice. Declan Rice is not the guy that's going to solve these problems. Declan Rice could solve problems for a lot of teams, not the problems we have. So I'll end my rant there.
Yeah, also about the also about the transfers. I think what we need to target in January is shrewd signs. None of this, if we can get Guardiola, nice, but I am actually tired of us targeting six centers. It's just a bias that I can't get over. But I, I don't think we should be targeting 100 million signings this January because it will be too. Clubs are going to be, their players will be coming back from the World Cup. Nobody's going to want to lose their most important players, which is ironic. I'm saying that because the, the player I'm actually guessing at is, is Branko Van den Boomen at, um, at, at Toulouse. He's the, kind of, he's the kind of player that I think we could really do with, though, if I'm to be honest, his tackling is, is similar to Jorginho's. Because he kind of wins about 50-55% of his of his tackles. So it may not be, but I think on the ball he would he has very good cross. He's more adventurous with his passing and also a better passer than Jorginho. I think Jorginho probably does better to create tempo more than he. But I think I think Van der Boomen would would solve a lot of issues for us creatively because He's going to get on the ball a lot and he's going to be able to, to spread the ball to the, the forward. So I think that kind of signing, and Fernandez would be nice, but I think the, the amount of clubs that are circling for Fernandez, I'm not sure if he would, he would select us. And I don't even know if we're in for him in the first place. So there is that. I think the idea of um, Declan Rice is. It's just something that is in many people's heads. Uh, I see many people talk about how good his passing is, and I find it surprising because that has never been in dispute. That has never been the argument. Some people say he's not good on the ball. That's, that's ridiculous. He is good on the ball, very good on the ball. But the role he plays for West Ham is the role he knows how to play. And he, the, what he needs to do for Chelsea is not just winning tackles, and passing the ball. That's not Jorginho's job. Jorginho does a lot of things. And winning tackles is just part of it. The idea that uh, we will get the Rice and we'll be better at stopping counter-attacks is, is, is one that, that fans may have to learn the hard way, but I hope we don't. But yes, I, my point is I don't think we should be targeting... I think we should leave those uh, big money signings for, for the summer. I think we should be trying to get players that like our capitals, like like Jordan mentioned, is one that we could we could easily get over the line. Or maybe I'm being naive, but I think low profile signings would would serve us better this January, it, just to get us over the line, than trying to chase big money signings because we only have a month to, to to get anything over the line, and we can't afford to be spending lots of time in negotiations this January because matches will be going on. As we, are, as we are trying to get players. So the earlier we can get players about the line, the better. Yeah, I just want to jump in here, Ola, because something you said made me try to find this article that I read a while ago, and I, I found it. So it's in the European Journal of Operational Research, and the title of the article is Beyond Crowd Judgments, Data-Driven Estimation of Market Value in Association Football. And that's pretty much what it is. It's from 2018, they have some really cool kind of, if anybody's interested in like multivariate regression analysis and multi-level regression analysis, and they come away with like a key conclusion, which is that 
prediction ability of data-driven models and like what a player is going to be worth is much better for low to medium market players, low to medium price players. And the second you get above that, so like, right, it's a variable, but I, I think what is like the top of the middle market now is probably 60 million, 65 million. And so once you get above that, then the data models don't really work anymore. But here's the crazy thing. Neither do the crowd models, right? So they all say like, okay, maybe we're wrong, but maybe the clubs are right. And the clubs generally, the more you spend, the lower the likelihood the player delivers what one would expect based on their transfer fee. And so they're like, okay, well, what about the general public? So they do like all this, like look at the general public and they find the same thing. But the general public's a little bit better than data when it comes to like high market players, but they're still not good enough to be able to predict on a player to player basis who's going to be good. And I think like this is a real point that like Bailey wants to be like RB Leipzig or the Red Bull model. Great. The Red Bull model, those teams don't ever buy somebody that's more than 70 million. They just don't do it because they know like once you get above a certain range, the return on investment's not high enough for everybody that says, well, Man City spent a ton of money, but it seemed like that's true. But they also like if you look at the individual values they spent on these players, yep. Holland is really the only one that is absurd. Everybody else is like within a pretty decent range. Yeah, and I think to your point there, Jordan, I mean, one of the quick follow-ups I'd have from that is just look at our success and failures in the market. You know, look at some of our biggest successes, Cesar Azpilicueta, low cost transfer, you know, low to medium cost transfer, Gary Cahill, low to medium cost transfer. Um, I think Davi Luiz would probably classify as a medium cost transfer both times. I mean, and despite whether you liked him or not, he was a hugely successful player for us. Nemanja Matic was a low cost or medium, you know, cost transfer at the time. I mean, even even our striker deals. And I mean, 32 million at the time was probably on the higher side of medium for uh, Diego Costa and Cesc Fabregas. But at the, in the same token, those ended up being some of our most successful attacking signings in a long time. I mean, even, uh, I mean, Juan Mata was a mid-range signing. I mean, so many other players, I mean, even so many of the ones that we've had success on have been these, you know, mid, even in modern markets, these mid to, you know, low to mid-range signings. Um, I think that's a great point because, I mean, Rudiger was a mid-range signing when we signed him and he ended up having a really high peak. I mean, Jorginho definitely is on the high side. I think when we signed him like for 50 some million, um, I'm just kind of thinking through the squad, but look at like our high transfers. Lukaku has been a massive bust. Uh, Havertz has been a bust. Um, who else do we have in attack? I mean, Ziyech was more of that mid-range. Pulisic really, besides the first season, has been a bust. Um, it's there, So there's just so many different players we have that haven't lived up to these fees. I mean, Kovacic was a mid-range signing and he's been amazing. So I think that just looking at our squad and, and recent history, not even back 10 years i really didn't even need to do that to prove the point but i mean that's a great point right there that we so make a lot of these high profile signings and most of them fail more often than not specifically in the attacking side yeah i just wanted to add something on on the, the point that i made on return on investment i think the higher the price for instance uh when when i see people talking about Jude bellingham and i hear them saying oh he's going to cost in the range of 150 million 
I am sorry. I'm going to say this now. I am sorry for the club who shells out 150 million for Jude Bellingham because he's going to get slandered from day one till the day he, he, he plays his last game for that club. The reason is now that you said it, it's going to be Chelsea. You just cursed it a lot. Exactly. The, the reason the reason I know that is because he's a central midfielder. Many people think he's going to come in and drive things forward. He plays in a pivot. That is his role. No pivot player can offer you enough to justify 150 million. None. He doesn't create the chances. He doesn't score. He, I mean, for the role he plays, he wouldn't even be expected to. But for the price you pay, you would want him to. And the, the fans of that club would watch him first game and say, I don't see it. I don't see what he pays 150 million for. And they are never going to see it because he's going to do what he has been doing for all his other clubs. But you would not see that as being worth 150 million. I think it is dangerous when we hire players, especially players like Bellingham, who are very good players. But, I mean, uh, Dortmund bought him for what? 50 million, 55 million, or something like that, or 45 million. And he shut down the academy. And, you know, it's a fairy tale story. But if you spend 150 million on a central midfielder, I mean, look at what Manchester United did with Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba is much more talented than, than Bellingham, if I do say so myself. They, they eventually let him go for free. It's the higher you go, because just the point you made on, on profiling players, when the player starts getting so much hype, you start hearing, you, 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 people start attributing to them things that they aren't. For instance, you, you hype up a, a midfielder, and suddenly the midfielder's market value is according to people 100 million. You start expecting that this midfielder creates chances, he scores goals, he gets into pockets of space. That has never been his, his role. And then you buy him and then you say, but he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. Why, why, why did we pay so much for him? Because you are not thinking. And, and I see 100 million for Rafael Lau, that's going to be a lot of money. Haaland, as good as Haaland is, it didn't cost the club 100 million. Yes, it's any lot of money in wages, but most of the of the players at Manchester City are any lot of money in wages. Well, like, I just want to chime in here. Like Holland yeah. is a player that was like he's a generational like like he's yeah. a he is, despite generational yeah. getting thrown around all the time. Yes, he is actually a generational. No, no, he player. is like I, I would say even maybe better than that, right? Like, I, I mean, his skill set he could have a career as good or better than Ronaldo. I was going like, to say, isn't he like basically the, he's basically the, the Ronaldo region in so many ways. Yeah. But, but better. so, but yeah, I mean, so like, his, that's just the, the point I'm going to say. Like, for a while. like city pay a lot in salary, but they're very good about transfer fees. Like exactly, they're really, yeah. really good about transfer fees. And then they get a guy like Kyle Walker and everybody's like, Oh, they had a pace. I think Kyle Walker was like 45 or 50 million. And it was like, Oh, well, like he's kind of just like a regular fullback for Tottenham plays well, but nothing special. Kyle Walker has been Pep Guardiola on the pitch for them basically since Pep started. With yep. Agreed. He like, he's always he's in the lineup almost all the time. He's the English yeah, best player. And, too, and, and, and like, that's, that's basically what I mean about, you know, the, the, the transfer, the transfer thing. If we get Bellingham, we are going to expect a lot of things from him. A lot of things. And the reason why he won't give it to us is not because he's bad, but because that is just not him. That's just not him. And fans will, will just have to, to come to terms with that. 
So it's it's uh, it's. I know Manchester City is not going to pay 150 million for Bellingham. I know this. Liverpool won't do it either. And because, oh Chelsea man, I'm I'm so I'm so looking forward to us paying 150 million for the guy. I've already resigned myself to it. I mean, I think transfer like the this team and they did it under Abramovich too, by the way. Like this team needs to restructure how it does transfer windows. It it isn't working anymore. And right, like no matter what people say, Chelsea don't have the Manchester United tax. They don't because they don't bring in the same amount of revenue. No exactly. team expects Chelsea to pay what they did for Fafana, but they paid it because everybody's like, oh well. They're going to be willing to pay it. If Chelsea said no, we're not willing to pay it. Then Fofana remains. I mean, Fofana was weird because he had a lot of years on his contract. But like a guy like Kukurea, who was basically demanding out and saying like he wouldn't play, like if they didn't let him go, like you didn't need it. Like, and I know part of why Chelsea did that is they could keep Levi Colwell, who by the way can't get a minute under Potter or Deserby, like cannot get a minute. So good job, but. The, the the strategy isn't working. And, like, I was really excited when I'm looking at these guys Bailey's bringing in, like, a lot of guys from the Red Bull system, the guy from Southampton. Like, he's bringing in a team that would make you think it is going to be a data-driven recruitment process where they get guys for in, like, maximum that, like, 65 to 70 million range. Like, again, maximum. And most players are in the 40 to 50. And then you have a few in the 30s. And, like, yeah, nobody hits on all their targets. Even the best teams probably don't hit on 50% of the targets. But Chelsea right now is hitting on, I think, about 10% of our targets. Yeah. And we're spending money that's an absurd level to to hit there. The, the system needs to be rebuilt, and I hope it does. Like, I actually hope for all the talk about this transfer, January transfer window, none of what's been rumored happens. Like, it would be great if we were like, <laughs> no, we didn't buy – or we bought in Kunku because he was $50 million with a loan back until the end of the season. But other than that, like, no, we didn't buy Leal because he was 100 million. As much as I love the guy, like, I love, love, love him. No, we didn't buy Vardial because he's 70 million. Like, just say no. Like, don't do it. There's no need to do it. Exactly. There's no need. Everybody's like, oh, well, Tuchel cost us Chuamani. I mean, yeah, he did. That's a fair criticism. Tuchel costing us Chuamani is not why Chelsea's in the position they're in. Because, like, I That's can true. promise you, if Chelsea had Chuamani right now, it, wouldn't change much. Like it would change a little bit. We'd be better for sure, but it wouldn't change much. So like the big issue is we're not spending smartly. We are spending like a fan run club that has just, we want the highlights. I mean, look and at our, look at our work. wage bill. Look at our wage bill. Spending like paying, United. Yeah. We're paying a lot of money in wages, a lot of it. And we have nothing to do for it on the pitch. Nothing. And we're about to pay Miss Mount um, 300k. I actually don't think that's going to happen. Like, I'm going to be I honest. hope like, it doesn't I, happen. I, I think I there's too much. Like, right, Reese James, we heard he was talking with Chelsea like once, like Fab reported it once, exactly. and then he was signed. Exactly. I, we're like Mason Mount, we keep hearing they're negotiating. And my rule of thumb is if we're here, they're negotiating, it's not looking good. Because that means they have not come to an agreement. And I think no matter what, like, I think they're not going to give Mason Mount $300,000 a week. The, uh, and the talk was they offered him 270 or something like that, but it was mainly incentive driven, and that's why Mount didn't take it. Yeah. That's how it fucking should be. Like, Reese James's contract exactly. is very incentive driven. Like, yeah, 
That's what it should be. Every contract Chelsea gives any, should be incentive-driven. Any, any big, any uh, high-salary player who is not on incentives is not going to be of value to the squad. Because as Chelsea stands, we have a lot of needs in the squad that the players who are playing aren't giving us. I don't know. I know how much um, um, Sterling is earning. I don't know what role we thought Sterling would play, but he's, he's earning 300k. He's not creating. No one is creating for him. Mount has gotten a lot of minutes. And whether we like it or not, he hasn't produced the goods for the amount of minutes he's getting. He hasn't. He simply has not. And what we're going to do is we're, we're going to get Declan Rice paying 400k per week. We get Bellingham paying 400k per week. And then when we, we, we put them on the pitch, we realize, oh, actually, none of these guys are creators. And then we are paying more money in wages than Manchester City. But Manchester City is winning the league every single season. Liverpool is hot on their heels every single season. Uh, maybe Leicester, Gallup, us. We are wallowing in eighth place. Our wage bill does not reflect the ability of the squad. And I don't know where... We can start by selling Ziyech, but Ziyech is on 100k. I don't think Ziyech is, is, is what is making our ways be what it is, but we can sell Ziyech, we can sell Pulisic, but the problems remain. We are not spending smartly. We're paying the, money is all we have to entice players. That's all we have to entice players. If we don't promise to double their salaries, they're not coming to us. So we have to start getting shrewd signings that we don't pay that much in, in fees. We pay a reasonable amount of wages, and they bring value to us. These, uh, but a lot, a lot. like I, I, I got our like, the, like I know I hear your point, right? If we don't pay offer Sterling what we offered him in salary, he doesn't come. Okay, like I love Sterling. I actually think that was a great deal, and I think he was mm. showing it under Tuchel. And then Potter came in, and I don't know what Potter wants to do with him. I think Potter probably doesn't want him. Then it's a waste. But like we did not have to pay that salary to get the production that we were getting from Sterling under Tuchel. We didn't. Like, I'm sorry. Like, exactly. And, and I know okay, part of that was value? like, yeah, like, right. well, right. Like, what? Good luck selling Cool Valley. Good luck transferring Cool Valley, like, or loaning Cool Valley. Because, like, I mean, I actually uh, think it's going to be a problem we run into with Lukaku. Mm-hmm. I don't think Inter's going to want to keep him on that salary. Lukaku and I don't know what we're going to do. I think Lukaku yeah. is going to, I, if you want my hot take, I think Lukaku is going to play for Chelsea next season. Because I, he may not play a game, but he's going to be on the squad. Because there's no... We're paying, level, we're paying him a lot of money, and he's, he's still a registered player. <laughs> yeah, player. no, but, like, this is the problem. Like, if you exactly. have to spend... Like, and I know, wages correlate much more to winning than transfer fees, which is, like, another kind of, like, just thing that we've seen in a lot of these studies over time is that teams that spend a lot on wages tend to do better than teams that spend a lot on transfer fees. And, like, I guess I would rather have that. But the wage bill is insane. Like, right, that doesn't mean you pay Timo Werner $300,000 a week. It it doesn't. Like, it doesn't. There's a middle ground. Yeah, the wage bill has been out of control for a while, and that's been a chief problem that we've needed to tackle. And I think that we're going to be in the process of tackling that in the next couple of windows. Um, And we're going to be moving players on probably that – that don't really fit that. And maybe that means that they're going to be short term, you know, it's going to be a hit short term, but so be it. It's going to have to be a problem that fixes itself. And I mean, Mount, you know, there's, if we're going to start giving players, you know, 270, 300,000 
pounds a week simply because another starter has, or not even a starter. Exactly. Like Sterling's not even a nailed on starter. Funny. So just because Funny. another player has it, so everybody wants to demand that that's what they're paid. I mean, there's some merit to that, but at the same time, it's just a terrible way to run your club. Um, you know, you, you just can't, you have to look at the production you're going to offer, you know, and, and really in the past, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just memory being serving me incorrectly, but I feel that we didn't do these, you know, giant wage players. We had a lot of guys that we signed, you know, like the Ivanoviches, the Cahills, the, you know, I, I mean, we had even, even Basingwa was a solid player. So we didn't have all of these high, you know, marquee names. We had plenty of guys that, that made out the squad that weren't from that kind of background. So it's just, I, I mean, and the, the, the crazy thing is like, I, I, I don't want to say like, I feel right on Rudiger, but like, Rudiger wanted two hundred eighty thousand pounds a week. I think was what the quoted number right, was, and that's a that. that's a lot of money. And I'm not saying it's bad we didn't pay it, but if you're not going to pay that, there's no way in hell you should be paying Mason Mount three hundred thousand dollars a week. Yeah, Same with right like, Christensen's getting two hundred thousand a week. Like yes, what about Rudiger? What what paying Kulibali three hundred k per week? Yeah, no, no, no. You're right about Rudiger. Yeah. And guess what? Like, I don't care what anybody said, like all of us on this podcast. And I know, Ola, you were a little more critical of him than like I was. But like, Rudiger's a better player. We all would have said it last year. Rudiger's a better player than Cool Valley. Cool Valley five years ago was one of the best defenders in the world. Yeah. He's not anymore. He's a smart defender. He's like really smart. You can watch when he plays. He's intelligent. He has, The athleticism is totally gone. And he's not good enough with the ball at his feet to make up for it. Like that's what I think about I, I Silva. Think Silva's going to be able to play because he's really good in the air and he's really good with the ball at his feet. I but think yeah. when with Kulibali is where we're playing him. I yeah. suspect that if we play him in the center, he probably looks better. The problem is if you play him in the center, then you need a Rudiger type player to play on the left, and we don't have that many candidates for left center back. Hey, it's and Korea, man, or Levi Colwell. Why don't we just recall Levi Colwell from Brighton? That that's the and, answer. And he's he left footed and, and he wins us the league. You know, like yeah. Pro league. Yep, that's it. Really. I mean, that's the, the, other, the other problem is Silva is one of our best centre backs, and Silva can play anywhere else other than centre of the back three. So if we if we move Kulibali there, Silva goes out, and Silva is playing better than Kulibali. So it, we we can't justify it. So I think I think that's part of the problem. But like you said, Rudiger, whatever Rudiger wanted, we're paying. Much more than that to the center backs that we have now, or the center backs that we brought in, and they are not producing what Rudiger produced. So it's, it's clear. Uh, to me. Also, I was wrong like, about that. Yeah, well, like the other thing I'll say that I did not foresee is Rudiger's playing a lot of left fullback for Real Madrid, and he had that one horror show in the Champions League. But overall, he's actually looking really good in that spot. And so maybe like right, and I think Carlos just a great manager, and I'm sure Carlos saw how he played at Chelsea, and it's like, well. If I play him in left fullback, but in a, not a super attacking role, he probably can do it. Mm. And it's worked. Like, he has not, the, he's done a mix because he's basically been a rotational guy. But, like, it, I mean, your Reese James, I think, can make up to 350,000 pounds a week, but that's very incentive driven. And that's fine, right? You keep your best young player. Like, yeah, he's injury prone, but like, you keep him. It's worth it, whatever. I am sorry, Mason Mount's not worth that. I'm sorry, none of our attackers are worth that. 
None of our yeah, I mean, and that's four years have been worth it. And that's the thing is like, and and that what you just said right there kind of encapsulates a lot of what's in the team discussion, which is when we talk about any given player, right? We want to talk about things relative to everybody else. So you know, we we talk about how Mason has at the has struggled this season. But at the same time, like every attacker struggled, right? So like if you're an attacker and you're collectively all struggling, there's no individual standing out, then it's hard to like point at what your current level of production and form is and use that as the bargaining chip. You can't really just point to past things over and over again because, well, if I'm Chelsea and I say, okay, so that's what you did, you thought you've already done for me. So why aren't you doing it now? So why would I pay you? I've been paying you X amount to give me this production. Why would I now increase your salary by two and a half times to get what I'm currently getting from you, which is nowhere near enough, right? My, I, I, you know, that that's that just seems backwards. So it's a weird, it's a weird negotiation for them. I'm not going to say that I that we shouldn't resign these. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. But it, it's a problem of the wage bill, right? Because if we didn't have this, you know, bloated, uh, over, you know, overcompensated wage structure. You know, would this be an issue with Mal, or would he already have signed back for a re-sign of like one hundred and fifty thousand a week? That's kind of I mean, what I'm like, trying to suggest. I also think Chelsea's just betting against themselves a lot here. No team's gonna yeah. right. Like there was teams that were going to give Rudiger that money. There's not a team in the world that's going to pay Mason Mount three hundred thousand dollars a week. There's not. Same Declan Rice. There's not a team in the world that's going to pay him four hundred thousand dollars a week, other than us. Like yes, that many, is many of the contracts at Chelsea. They can only get this contract at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I just and, but Pretty Travis, much. like, I think your point's actually really true, right? Which is like, you can't base all wages off what are you doing for me now, right? Especially if they're a wage increase, because if you're resigning a player on a wage increase, it's because you expect them to do more than they are currently doing for you. Yeah. And we don't do that. We don't operate by that. And I know, like, I actually really liked the over 30 rule that Marina had. It was a fantastic rule. But, but because it, it doesn't Marina, help anymore. Like, Foley doesn't thing. have that rule. Because it was a Marina thing, many people felt it was, you know, the, the, the general idea behind Marina was she's, she's rubbish. She, she leaves. Good riddance to bad rubbish. But we didn't need to throw away everything. I thought she was, she was good in her role for the role that she was supposed to play but i think it's a good idea to be careful about how you give contract to players over 30 because now really guy kulibali is on a on a five-year deal five his, his wages won't reduce <laughs> oh my goodness well his my favorite thing reduce. was when they asked Tugel about it and Tugel was like well yeah like we had other center backs on our list and like kulibali was the one that was available like he like he couldn't even give an honest like oh yeah this guy's a Rudiger replacement like I think he was asked that and he was like no no he's a different player <laughs> like, yeah and and we're we're gonna be stuck with that one for years. a while that's one now we we kind of missed the boat on the cool Bali signing by half decade or so but you know we're we're pretty good at doing that a lot but um I think it's been a great discussion on the transfer targets and where we need to move and you know how realistically do we even get some of these larger issues going on with the club resolved and how long that might take to do it but you know let's just i think that's going to be a situation we're going to see bear out over a longer time frame honestly than just the course of this season but looking ahead realistically you know what are our end of season predictions i mean we've described a lot of the internal problems with the club uh and the squad itself 
We've talked about the uh, beneficial nature or lack thereof for this winter break with Potter. We've talked about, you know, what do we expect to happen in the market? So with all I said, you know, where do we see this squad finishing? Because realistically, it's it's going to be a tough fight to get to where we need to be, uh, which is top four. And we have not looked like a top four team for quite a while now. So where do you guys where do you guys see us ending? You know, kind of and maybe not just so we know how where do you see us ending at the table, but what do you just overall see as sort of end of season predictions and and how do you think it's gonna play out? I think well where do where do we where do we where do we finish? I think we we're probably getting knocked out by Manchester City in the FA Cup. Almost definitely we're getting knocked out. In the Champions League, we probably get past Dortmund because I think that even that is difficult because we don't look like we're getting past anyone right now. So I hope that the football we see when we come back from from the break is much better than what we've seen. Though if the friendly is anything to go by, I prefer not to speak. I think we probably don't get further than quarterfinal in the in the Champions League. As for the league, I don't see us entering top four because we're not even play, playing remotely close to a team that we finished top four. In terms of chance creation, quality of defending, results, we are not close to many of the teams around us. I know Liverpool will still will still um, rise from where they are in the table. They are creating the chances. They have good defenders. They just need to work out something. I don't think Liverpool is far from a, a second-place spot or a third-place spot. I think Newcastle is playing much better than us. Arsenal is playing much better than us. Man City is playing much better than us. That's already about four teams that are favorites to get to top four overall. I think I think we finished sixth. What I don't know is what that means for us, for our signings, the manager. You know, I, I don't know what that means, but I think we I think we finished sixth. And even sixth is if we improve the way we play, because it's it's looking it's not looking good from here, but I guess that's the point of a prediction. I am not optimistic about us improving much because I don't think uh, Potter suddenly drops the, the, the forwards he plays or any player that is playing. I think he will just go ahead playing who he wants to play. I see Chelsea fans calling for Omari Hutchinson and we've gotten back into that. <laughs> we've gotten back into that territory where the reason why the calls don't surprise me is I see it every time. Every season we're struggling. Chelsea fans go into the academy and pick out a, a, a player that's exciting at under-19 level and go give him first minutes. He can't be any worse. I have news for you. Yes, he can. And he will be. Yes, he can be worse. Why do people think he can't be any worse is a thing that he can say at the professional level? You are telling me to drop Hakim Ziyech, who has played at the top level for more than 10, 12 years, for Omari Hutchinson, who is used to playing under 19 football, and you think he can't be any worse. It is this kind of... Before I, before I, before I go on the tirade, let me, let me just... I've seen people calling for Omari Hutchinson. Omari Hutchinson is not going to get us top four. I think half of the dribbles he does at under 19 level won't work in the Premier League, and that, that's probably a generous number. So I'm, I don't, I'm not expecting us to improve. I'm not expecting us to suddenly be creating all these chances. 
Because I know that even if Ziyech plays, it doesn't really guarantee that he's going to be this creative force because he's probably not going to be used right. He may even be moved to the left as many managers tend to do, which I don't understand. But it's not even about Ziyech. Ziyech likely lives in January anyway. It's not about Ziyech. The, the players we have, we have a lot of players who are waiting for service from each other. Uh, they are all waiting for service from each other. Sterling wants um, uh, policy to, to, to create for him. Policy also is waiting for someone else to create for him. So, you know, they are, that's why the thing can't work. And that's why we're not creating chances. We're creating 1.6 big chances per game. That is low. It was low last season, and last season it was 2.4. That is quite low. 1.6 is low. That 13 place, 14 place stuff, that is very low. And it, we can't continue like this. I think we finished six at the highest. Dude, that heavily depends on who we get in Germany. So I just want to jump on the academy thing because I have to. I think Cobham is one of the best academies in the world. Don't get me wrong. Like, we produce players at a really high rate. Every player that comes from Cobham isn't generational. There's a reason why they're called generational. And when they, like, everybody's like, oh, well, they're going to play better because they're going to give a shit out there. Like, oh, I'm going to extend the news you just gave everybody, like, because I have news too. Like, it doesn't matter how much you love where you work. If you are working your hardest, you're working your hardest. And yeah, maybe Pulisic or Ziek, I don't think this is true, but like, let's take it for what it is, right? Like people say, oh, when they're out there, they don't try the hardest. Sure. 80% for either of those two guys is better than what a 16-year-old is going to be able to deliver. Exactly. I, I exactly. watched Amari Hutchinson. He has a ton of potential. Ton of potential, right? Guess who else did? Reese James. I'm glad we kept Reese James. Reese James' first year in the Premier League, he was a backup to Aspilicueta, and we looked worse when Reese James is on the pitch, exactly. and that was okay. Yeah. That was okay because we like he wasn't on the pitch that much, and it wasn't a season where we needed to win a ton of games. But guess what? Like Often when he played, there weren't many other young guys, like uncertain guys on the pitch, right? Like You weren't seeing a lot of Tammy minutes when – Reese James was in. It was mainly Giroud. Yeah. And, and that's going to be like, yeah. Do I think Lewis Hall is going to play more? Yeah, I do. Because I think Lewis Hall has a lot of potential. Lewis Hall may be playing. He's going to be starting one every four or five games at most. And he, yeah. he's probably playing one out of every three, like is a sub, like he'll come out as a sub. Like, and that's great. That's what it should be for a young guy. And that's going to be the young guy this year. Like, it's going to be Hall. That's going to be the young guy. Hutchinson's not coming up. I have news for people. Levi Colwell is probably never going to play a match for Chelsea. Like, if he can't get a minute at Brighton, where, like, by the way, Deservey's rotating that team, like, because he plays such an intense style he has to, and Colwell still can't get a minute. <laughs> so, like, Colwell may just not be that guy. Like, Colwell may be maxed out as a decent Premier League player, and that's fine. Do I think, like, Mark Gahey is better than like thought he'd be. Yeah, I think Mark is a really good center back. Like, yeah, sometimes you lose it. We got, what, 30 million for a guy that never played a Premier League minute? That's a really good deal. Exactly. That's a really good deal. Like, Tamori, like, yeah, I thought that whole thing was weird. I also think you're seeing with Tamori more this season that he has some major flaws. Like, everybody's like, oh, Southgate hates him. That's why Southgate didn't bring him. No, like, Tamori has not been good this year. 
and it's just okay. Like he was amazing last year and that's fine. He's young. He's not going to be consistent. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tammy's been terrible. Like Tammy gets in a good position. I'll give that guy that much. Like Tammy gets in a really good positions, but he's a young player. Like he's not consistent. And Mourinho's called him out on it. And so like, I, I think in terms of the way the season ends to get to Travis's actual question, that was the more important question than whatever rant I just went on. I, the numbers for Chelsea under Potter are you're looking at a team right above, but may, like you're talking like 14th, 15th best team in the Premier League. I think it probably improves a little bit just based on the talent on the roster. Like no matter how much I think this roster doesn't fit together, they fit more than a 14th or 15th best Premier League team. But I don't see a world with things as they are where this team makes Europe in any sense. And, and I mean, maybe they do get a big, good transfer. Like, maybe Vardy all comes in and, and he ends up playing really well in that left center back role. And it helps us even out the defense a little bit. He's good with the ball. So, like, yeah, he'll make issues, but like maybe that works, right? Maybe everybody gets healthy, nobody gets hurt the rest of the season. And so, like, I think those things will help, but like, I think we're looking at eighth or ninth best. I, I just, I don't see a world where we pull off the type of transformation we did when Tuchel came because Tuchel had a really good, like, he came to a really good squad that, frankly, was not as bad as their win loss record suggested at that point. And all Tuchel did is he said, okay, you know what? We have guys that are really good with the ball. Kovacic is a world-class ball progressor. Jorginho dictates tempo better than pretty much anybody outside of Barcelona right now in the world. Rudiger has flaws. He can only play in a back three as a center back, but he's really aggressive and we can use that. Like, Tool came in and he was like, I know how to make sense of this. And he did. And the numbers improved by just enough that the team was able to save itself. I don't think the talent is there to do that with this team. I, I hope I'm wrong. I just, I think they're old or they're, they, they fit together poorly. And I think you have the best players like Reese James. I mean, I don't think Fafana is one of the best players, but let's just throw him at Fafana in there. Uh, I think Kovacic is one of the best players. I think Jorginho is one of the best players. These guys are all guys that are injury prone or aren't going to be good three out of four, like playing four, three straight games. Like, I don't know, guys. Like, I, I just, I don't see what the fix is. And so I think next year will be better. But I I, I think everyone needs to be ready for this year to be a slog. I, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, let's just look at the table. You've got Arsenal in first, uh, and they are only 16 points ahead of us. You've got Man City in second, and they are good uh, 11 points ahead of us. Newcastle third, nine points ahead of us. Spurs, 20, or fourth. They are still eight points ahead of us. You've got United in fifth. They're five points ahead of us. Liverpool, one point ahead of us in sixth. And Brighton is ahead of us on goal differential for seventh. But we both have 21 points. I mean, realistically speaking, I don't think that we're going to get above any of those teams except Brighton. I, I, I just don't really see that being an outcome. Um, so I guess with that said, I, I see us finishing sixth. Uh, it's sixth best, most likely seventh. I mean, I don't even and I don't even think that we'll get over Liverpool, if I'm honest. And so I think that we're going to finish seventh. I think it's going to be you know, it's going to be the worst season since fifteen sixteen, um, but what happened in fifteen sixteen was basically a a shot in the arm that this team wasn't dead. It basically complacency in the market killed the manager and just killed everything behind the scenes. 
that's kind of, that seems to be what happened in 1516 that the the continual complacency in the market not in the manager not getting who he wanted just created this bad atmosphere that everybody gave up on not too dissimilar maybe from what happened this season with Thomas Tuchel so we have another repeat of this 1516 scenario I think is what we're going to have and I think you're you guys are both you know your fears for how this is going to play out are well founded um but I, and I'm kind of there with you I think those fears are justified and we're not going to have a good outcome and we need to really use that opportunity uh if we finish in seventh we're still going to have I think um what is it, the European Conference Cup or whatever it is, the Europa League Conference. Uh, so we'll have to be involved in that garbage. But, hey, at least we'll maybe we'll become the first side to win all three European trophies uh, that currently exist. So, you know, there's also that upside. And I think it also oh, be – Only a- if we bring in Mourinho. We got to bring Mourinho back. I know he's <laughs> won it before. So, like, that that is worth it, right? Like, he has experience winning it. And then imagine, like, Mourinho is going to come in and be like, Look, motherfuckers, like now you've won every European trophy. You're well, welcome. So only if we bring in Mourinho. Oh, my gosh. Mourinho 3.0. It would be, it would be I don't know if it would be as, as nice as the last time, but it would probably be as caustic, if not more caustic, by the end of He's it. He's a better manager than Potter is right now. I mean, that much. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Mourinho is better manager than Potter and has shown more in his career without a doubt. And, uh, you know, um, with that said, I mean Mourinho is a little on the on the the in ending phase of his uh, time as an elite manager, but I think it's going to be a tough slog for us. I really do, and, and I think it's going to be a tough slog just because the teams ahead of us have. Uh, if I'm just being objective, I think they all have better managers. I think Arsenal has a better manager than us. I think if anybody says Man City don't have a better or do not have a better manager than us, then I, I think you just stop listening to their opinions at that point. Uh, Eddie Howe had succeeded in the Premier League by punching well above his weight for the better part of a decade with Bournemouth. Uh, so I would, and it's somebody that I actually for a long time had been asking, why doesn't this guy get a better job? Why doesn't he get a top job? Now that he has it, he doesn't even have a top job. He just, yeah, and he's he's at, a, he's at a place that's just giving him funds now, not even an elite level of funds, but just money to spend and, and in, in the right areas and how is building a great team there. I'll give the, I'll give the Newcastle the edge in terms of manager. If anybody's going to tell me Antonio Conte is not as good as Graham Potter again, I'm going to stop listening there. Uh, so I give Spurs the managerial edge. I give Tin Hogg the managerial edge, managerial edge. He he's been to a champions league final with uh, a lot of at the time, little known kids that were still, you know, U 23 players uh, as, as the core of his squad. Uh, and I think that in you know in this season is first season the Premier League with a United squad that is horrible. I mean, it's a terrible squad. There's so much work that has to be done with that squad, and he's already above us. So, I mean, I, I and you know Liverpool and Klopp did so much continuity and such a better quality manager there. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think that we're we're in any position to really get in the top four this year, and I think that's going to be where decision points are made. For, for the front office, you know, for the board this this upcoming offseason. Uh, if we miss out on top four, it's a terrible uh, failure for a lot of reasons. You know, competitively, it's a failure. It's going to put us really behind the eight ball financially, and that's the reason why I wonder what decisions will be made because being behind the financial eight ball as a new ownership, probably not the best way they want to start out. And if they think they can maybe solve that financial hardship in the short and long term, I think that they'll go ahead and do that. Um, you know, and that's when we're really going to find out how much of a long-term project that this really is. 
Um, or if, again, it's a long-term project that needs to have a base of the short-term needs being met to give a long-term future, like every other long-term project, basically, in a you know hierarchy of needs. So I think that's where we're at. Um, I think that's where this squad truthfully is. Um, we have a lot of young, we have a lot of players who are not in their peak, which are a lot of the youth guys that came through uh, around the 1920 season. We have a lot of aging veterans who are getting past it. And we have a lot of guys that simply look like they don't want to be here. Uh, that's a hard dynamic to succeed in, in a, in a, in a league where there's a lot of clubs with better managers than you and just as much financial resources as you. So the, the, the days of us being of who we were are probably over. And we've talked a lot about the transfers, the model need, needing to shift, the wage structure. We've really talked the theme of tonight, a lot of things that need to change in this club going forward. And I think part of that long-term changing process is going to be the short-term pain. I think that short-term pain will be, you know, will will come home to roost uh, by May. You know, I think by May we'll be pretty much doomed and relegated to no chance to top four. Uh, and maybe I, you know, we can say I'm being pessimistic, but I really, I, I'm trying to give it this for as realistic as I can without being uh, a positively biased fan. Um, and, and this is just where I see it looking, you know, looking all things considered, this is where I see us at. Um, we'll see what we do in the January window. That can maybe affect some of this and what other clubs around us do or don't do. But I still don't think it's enough to make a difference between top four or not. I, I don't see that happening. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any heavy closing remarks tonight. No, I, I mean, I think this was a good pod. And I, I don't think this means, like, don't watch Chelsea because we're not going to be good. Like. No, I'm, I'm really still... interested to see what Potter does well, and maybe I, I, what direction he takes those. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, think I think it's like it's a good go team. It's a fun team. Like I don't care what anybody says. Like we have a lot of talented players. We're gonna have fun games. I I don't think we will keep getting blown out against the best teams. I just I, I don't think we are creating enough. But yeah. it like I think it's fun. I I am excited. Like I have not been super into the World Cup, so I'm really excited for club football to be back. So like yeah, I'm pessimistic. I think I'm the most pessimistic out of the three of us. Like. It wouldn't surprise me if we don't finish in the top 10. I, I don't think it's likely, but it wouldn't surprise me. So, and I'm still excited. So I think like everybody should be excited, but it's realistic. Yeah, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to watch Chelsea because I can't not watch Chelsea, but um, not because I think they're going to be exciting to watch. I, I have to take in information and know what is improving and we have to track the progress of Potter because uh, we need to know where it is we're going at the end of his first we're not first year because it, it, it came middle of the season, but we need to, to to know what it is we're seeing before and what is different is what we're seeing now. So, yes, I think we should watch Chelsea. It will be interesting, even if it's for the analytics. It will be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be interested to see how we finish it out. I mean, even though I don't expect much, I just want to see what progress is maybe being made with how we play, the system we play, and what personnel are going to be used for that, and, and maybe see if there's any predictive value going forward into next season. Um, so I think it's where we're at. Uh, it's not really, it, although it doesn't sound, you know, in terms of the end goal, it sounds negative. Uh, but I think the process is more we need to focus on this season going forward. Um, but yeah, great episode tonight, guys. Uh, and, you know, thanks for listening for everybody out there listening. And until next time, keep, until next time, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high.